time in the back there today. Um, I know they're very excited for that uh, kids uh, event that's coming up, so God bless whoever the teacher is this morning back there today. Uh, They've got their hands full. Uh, If you have a copy of God's Word, I'd encourage you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be reading this morning uh, verses 7 to 14 in 1 John chapter 2. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can certainly follow along on the screens behind me or in your bulletin as well. If you've been with us the past couple weeks, you know we've been uh, looking at these letters uh, of John that you find at the very end of your New Testament. Um, what we know is that towards the end of this apostle John's life, uh, he pastored several congregations in what back then uh, was called Asia Minor. And so this aged apostle uh, becomes a pastor towards the end of his life. And uh, his home base was in Ephesus, but he would travel from time to time to all these different churches and certainly write letters to these congregations who he served and whom he cared deeply for. But we also know that he had at points uh, the necessity to say some difficult things in his letters to these churches because there were difficult things that were going on. What we know is there were these false teachers uh, called the Gnostics, and they were entering into these churches, and they were preaching a false gospel. Uh, They essentially taught that uh, in order to have salvation, you had to discover or obtain a secret knowledge, and only a very few select people were privileged enough to receive this special knowledge. And if you had this special knowledge... Uh, That's really what mattered, and what you did in the body didn't matter. The physicality of our bodies didn't matter anymore. Relationships, behavior, all those things are secondary as long as you have this secret and special and exclusive knowledge. Now, sadly, a lot of John's congregants uh, succumbed to this kind of teaching and, and painfully left the church and joined these false teachers in what they were teaching. And so that prompted John to write these letters, but he writes these letters with an affectionate heart, an affectionate pastor, reminding them of the fundamentals of what it is to be a Christian, Uh, the fundamentals of our faith, reminding them that salvation comes in the recognition of, of who we are as people and also who God is and what he has done. It isn't about a a secret knowledge that's only available to a select few. This gospel, it's, it's for the whole world. It's for everyone. The defining principle of the gospel isn't some sort of secret knowledge. Instead, it is love. And if there's any theme to John's letters and to his gospel, it's this idea of love. He, John, was, was deeply loved by Jesus. He, he deeply loved these churches whom he pastored. He wanted them to experience the love of God, and he wanted them to deeply love one another. Love is the defining principle of this gospel. And so we come to 1 John chapter 2, and again, I'm going to be reading Uh, verses 7 to 14, 1 John chapter 2. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. 
Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is God's word. Father, thanks so much for the the gift and the privilege of worship, the fact that we get to gather here as a community of faith and Sing praises to your name, Lord, read your scripture, Lord, and now meditate upon it. So we pray that you would visit us with your presence this morning, that you'd speak to us, Lord. Without you, we are in darkness, Father. So open our eyes to see the truth of your scripture. Help us to see how it changes every single thing about us. Refresh us in who we are and in who you are as our God and as our Savior. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. So I've called this sermon uh, the Old New Commandment, and I call it that because of uh, really verses 7 to 8 where John's talking about this old commandment made new, and it sort of makes us wonder, what is John really getting at here? So let's first talk about the old commandment. What does John mean when he talks about this old commandment? And the best way to understand this old commandment is to sort of go all the way back in the Old Testament, um, particularly to Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you ever spend any time in the book of Deuteronomy, um, it is Moses writing this book, and Moses is about to die. And so his people are about to enter into the promised land. Moses is not going to join them. Um, Instead, he's going to go to join the Lord. And uh, this is really his final speech to this people of Israel who he has led for decades upon decades. And he wants to remind them of what's the important guiding principles of our lives now that we're going to be in this promised land. What should define their life? And so he sums it up in verse 9 by saying this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. He says a lot of other things in the book of Deuteronomy, but that is the summary of everything. The most important thing about what he says is this love of God. He tells them to teach this commandment to their children to talk about it all the time, to talk about it when they wake up in the morning, when they go to bed at night, and every moment in between. He wants them to write this commandment everywhere, over their house, everywhere they go, so they'll be reminded of it. He says it should define your sight, the way you look at the world. It should define your behavior every single step of the way. In effect, your love for God should be the defining principle of your life. Now, what Moses is saying is, is, don't misunderstand what he's trying to say here. It doesn't mean that we cannot have other loves. And we, of course, do have other loves and pursue after other loves. And those things are good and beautiful. Husbands, it's perfectly okay to love your wives. Parents, it's perfectly okay to love your children. It's okay to love your job. It's okay to love your sport. It's even okay to love a football team, right? Those are all good gifts that come from the hand of God. 
But one thing that is clear is that your love for God should be bigger and fuller than all of those other things that you love. In fact, Augustine, I think, beautifully said that that sin, this is the way he defined sin, he defined sin as disordered loves. And what he meant by that is it's fine to love your wife, your children, your job, your sport, but if you love those things more than you love God, then what you've done is you've disordered your loves and you've committed sin. If you place love for yourself, love for your own desires above your love for God, then you have sins. The the Old Testament has another word for this. It's called idolatry, and it's all over the Old Testament. And so this is how all of the law of God is summarized. We're called to love God above all other things. So just think about that for a moment. What that means is that you and I are called to nurture that love through the application of all of our might, all of our emotional, mental, and physical strength should be marshaled and aimed at loving God above all other things. It involves our heart, our soul, our mind, our imagination, every single thing about us should be about the love of God. There's a really important passage in, in Matthew 19 where Jesus is uh, ministering and a, a very wealthy young man comes to Jesus and says, um, how do I obtain eternal life, he says to Jesus, an important question. And uh, Jesus presents the law to him. He says, well, what is the law? And he talks all about the law. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. And then he says to the man, go and sell all of your possessions and follow me. Now, was Jesus saying that in order to follow him, we have to go and sell all our possessions? I don't think so. But what was Jesus doing? He was talking to that man's loves. And he knew that that man loved his stuff more than he loved following Jesus. And in the end of the day, the man turned away and walked away from Jesus because he loved his stuff more than he loved God. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus has asked again about this old commandment. Uh, He's asked again about this law, and he's asked by a law professional, uh, a scribe, and that scribe is trying to trip Jesus up. And so he asks him a question, and Jesus answers this way. The most important thing about the law is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And Jesus adds, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than this. So what's Jesus doing here? He's, he's highlighting that love of God is certainly of preeminent importance, but also love for one's neighbor. In effect, what Jesus is teaching here is he's suggesting that we love God by loving our neighbor. We love God by loving our neighbor. And that's what John's picking up here. John even says that the evidence of the light and the love of God is that you love your neighbor. And John says even here that if you don't love your neighbor, maybe you're still living in the darkness. And that darkness has blinded you, verse 11. So this is the old commandment that John is speaking about that you read over all sorts of pages of the scripture. But John then calls it the new commandment in verse 8. He says this, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away 
and the true light is already shining. What is John saying here? How has this old commandment become new? Well, remember, one of the things that John consistently writes about through his gospel and through his letters is that knowing Jesus changes everything about you. It changes everything about us. And so how does knowing Jesus impact this old commandment that we've all been raised in? Well, really in two ways. First, Jesus has come to bring forgiveness for those who have failed to keep that old law, for those who have failed to keep that old commandment. So let me ask you this question. Have you perfectly loved God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength every moment of your life? Have you done that? Have you always put God first? Have you always rightly ordered your loves? And if the answer is no, like I would honestly have to answer, then that means that Jesus came for you. That's what that means, that Jesus came for you. We deserve condemnation for breaking this old law and all of God's laws, and yet Jesus came to offer grace and forgiveness. He came to offer forgiveness, to take away our condemnation for all the ways we have broken that old commandment. But that's not all Jesus has done. Jesus came secondarily to embody this law, to really show us what it looks like lived out in a real life and in a real person. Now, as I thought about this, I thought about how we all, um, we all learn things in different ways. Uh, some people can just look at something and they know it. I'm always fascinated by these people with these photographic memories. They just look something and they know it. I am not like that at all. I learn in different ways, right? And we all learn in different ways. We receive, process, practice information in different ways. For me, I, if I really want to learn something, I need to hear it first, then I need to see it, and then I need to sort of do it for myself. And I, that's, that's the step for me to learn something. And I was reminded of this um, uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, one, of my, one of my sons uh, joined a cycling team, and uh, he's been cycling for years now. And when he first joined the team, what would happen from time to time is he would get flat tires, right? And we didn't know how to change a flat tire on the bike. So we would take it to the bike shop. They would change it for us in five minutes. They'd charge us $30, and we were on our way. Well, after the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth flat tire, I started to think, I, I got to figure this out. We got we to gotta do something here. It's going to bankrupt me just having flat tires changed. So I finally called the bike shop and I said, hey, will you do me a favor? Can I bring the flat tire in? Can you, uh, can you show me what to do? Then can you watch me as I do it? And this bike shop graciously said, Absolutely, come and do that. And now we don't have to pay to fix flat tires. So if you ever have a flat bike tire, you know your pastor's the person to come to to help change that tire. Well, I thought about that as I thought about Jesus embodying the law. What does that mean? This is how Jesus impacts this old commandment by making it new, meaning he truly embodied, he truly showed us what it meant to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and our strength. And if you look at the Gospels, what did Jesus do? He consistently stole time away in the morning, in the evening, to be with his Father in heaven. He perfectly kept the will of his Father, even when it opened him up to discomfort and to ridicule and pain. 
His sole mission every step of the way was to do exactly what the Father wanted no matter what. He embodied what it means to love God with your everything. But he also embodied what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. He says to his disciples, again, in John's gospel, John 15, greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friend. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus backed up his words by doing that very thing. At the cross, he laid down his life for you and for me. He truly embodied love for his neighbor by giving of his own life at the cross. And in doing so, he made this old covenant new. Now, at the end of John 15, he says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. And so those words resonated in the Apostle John's mind. And now, decades later, in his letter, 1 John, he's telling the same story. Love God by loving one another. Now, if you kept reading in that passage, you noticed at the very end, John gets into this sort of lyrical, poetic tone by what he writes. You get the sense that he's not just writing a letter, but he's a pastor, so his letters take on sermon form, even as he is writing. Twice he addresses fathers, twice he addresses children, twice he addresses young men, each reminding them of the power of the gospel, how it should be worked out in their lives. A lot of people have said, well, what about the the mothers? What about the daughters? What about the young women? What What is John really doing here? And I think Augustine said it best when he suggested that John isn't necessarily talking about individual people or individual groups, but instead what he's articulating is different stages in the spiritual journey that we all have as people of faith. He's talking about spiritual children, those who are young or brand new in the faith. He's talking about spiritual young men, those people that maybe have had some years in the faith They've grown somewhat in the faith. He's talking about spiritual fathers, those who have been uh, people of faith for, for decades or most of their lives. They've had years upon years of following Jesus. And so what is John doing addressing all these different groups? He's essentially saying this, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, whether you're a child, whether a young person, whether you're a mature father in the faith, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, it is all about love from start to finish. It's all about the love God has for you. It's all about how that love is worked out in Jesus Christ. It's all about how that love takes root in your, in your heart. It's all about how you demonstrate that love by other, loving other peoples. And that means this, we never mature past love. We never mature past love. That's why when you go to any Christian wedding, you hear 1 Corinthians 13, where not John is speaking, but the Apostle Paul is speaking, and he says this, if I speak with the tongue of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, understanding all mysteries and knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What's Paul saying? He's saying, in other words, you can speak eloquently, 
You can understand all the mysteries and the philosophies and the knowledge that's out there. You can have faith that is effective enough to move mountains. You can give away everything you have to the poor. You can even give your very own life away. But if you don't have love, it all means nothing. It means nothing. It's worthless. And John would add, you are still in darkness. You are still in darkness. The light of God in your life is always, always measured in love. It's always measured in love. Now, listen, I get it. Uh, People are annoying most of the time. They can be very frustrating, right? We, We act poorly in traffic. We have bad days that we then take it out on others. We have political and social perspectives that seem outrageous to us. We are selfish. We are annoying. We are unlovely. We are unkind. We are neurotic. We are idiosyncratic. And the list goes on and on and on. And yet, despite all that, God still manages to love us. Despite all of those things, he even gave of himself for us. And so therefore, he calls us to love others, even those that annoy us and bother us and exaggerate us and frustrate us, even those that our love for them costs us a lot. All those things, that love is the light of God in our lives. Think about the challenge that Jesus leaves his followers in John 13. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Think about that for a second. To the degree in which you've been loved by Jesus, that much, that much love he's given to you, that's how much you should love other people. That's the degree to which you shall love others. And Jesus said, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Friends, love is the language of heaven. It's the very thing that you and I are going to get to experience for all of eternity. And so we as followers of Jesus get to be a taste of that love for others in the now. Our faith, Galatians 5, is always expressed in love. Everything else is counterfeit. Everything else is darkness. Let's pray.